ready to become everyone's favorite brand? But you're not quite sure of how to build and grow your brand in a more strategic and sustainable way? Then this is the show for you. Welcome to Brainstalk Podcast. I'm your host, Brigitte Balkowski. Dive with me into the world of brands. Experts from different fields and industries will share their perspective on brands locally and on a global scale. Established companies and startups will talk about their brand stories, the challenges they face, but also the chances and hidden opportunities that arise leveraging today's digital world and making uncertainty to their advantage. Let's get started and dive with me into the world of brands. My guest today is an expert in intercultural communication and global talent and is the president and founder of NB Intercultural, a full-service intercultural training firm helping companies and individuals improve business communications across cultures and preparing organizations for the future of global work. She works closely with executives at Fortune 500 companies to create globally-minded leaders and organizations facilitating their success around the globe. She also consults with organizations looking to create, refine and optimize their cultural diversity programs. With over 15 years of experience, she is supporting clients' work effectively across cultures with trainings, workshops and consulting. She is a regular presenter, speaker and writer on the topics of cultural awareness, cultural intelligence, doing business across borders and working on multicultural teams. She's also a visiting lecturer at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. Her passion lies in innovation and problem solving, focusing on creative ideas and processes that improve connections across the globe. I warmly welcome Nicole Barilli. Welcome to my podcast, Renstock. Thank you so much, Bridget. I appreciate that great introduction, and I really appreciate you having me here today. Thank you for being my guest today, Nicole. Nicole, can you tell us a little bit about your background, about what made you do what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So um, I think probably like a lot of people that got into this field of intercultural communication, you know, it started off as really a love of travel and learning other languages and meeting people from different cultures. Um, and you know, I found out when I was in university, I found out that this was actually a career. And I had just come back from studying abroad in Argentina. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I didn't know this job existed. This is exactly what I want to do. And so, you know, fast forward a few years later, um, and then I, I found a job at an intercultural training company in New York. And that was 16 years ago. And so I've been, you know, doing it ever since. I would say, you know, the reason I think why I, you know, why I initially got into it was more of this love of travel, like I said, in language. And now it's kind of morphed into being able to connect 
people across cultures, right? You mentioned, you know, that I work a lot with people on multicultural teams, global teams, especially now virtual global teams. And there are a lot of miscommunications and misunderstandings across cultures. So really that's, that's what drives me today is helping smooth those miscommunications and, and improve work with people around the world. So you're preparing organizations for the future of global work and thereby emphasizing the importance of understanding culture. So what kind mm -hmm. of consultancy, trainings and workshops do you offer exactly? Sure. Uh, well, it's a variety. I would say, you know, things have changed a little maybe with COVID, but uh, so I offer trainings mainly to organizations that have global teams or they have suppliers, clients, partners around the world. So it could be a small U.S. company with 50 employees, but they're operating in 10 different countries. And so most of the training that I'm doing is about how to successfully conduct business across cultures. I also do a lot of training on building strong global virtual teams. Uh, cultural competence is a big one. So that is often for entire organizations that really understand the, the importance of communication internationally. Uh, and then I also offer a train the trainer program. So there are a lot of people, you know, I started that this year, a lot of people out there have contact me I, probably weekly um, to say, hey, this, I just discovered this field. How do I get into it? So that's another program uh, that I offer as well. So how do you differentiate your company from all the other competitors in this field, foreign and local players with your trainings? Uh, what's your positioning in the market and what makes your competitive advantage? Yes, well, most intercultural training companies out there actually focus on training for expats or international assignees. And so when you're doing that, you're working with global mobility departments at large multinational organizations. What differentiates my company is that while we do work with expats, most of our work is building strong global leaders, which is a little different than traditional intercultural training. And my, uh, focus is to really not just deliver a training and then be done and leave, right? It, uh, it is to develop an ongoing relationship with the organization and create a partnership. So I work more, less with global mobility and more with learning and development teams within organizations to help them build in cultural competence into their learning programs or into their corporate strategy. And so that's the biggest differentiator. It's really about building global leaders at every level of the organization instead of just giving training to those going on assignment or those taking international business trips. What kind of businesses come to you to seek advice on these different levels? What is the profile of a typical client and are these clients uh, solely from the U.S. going abroad or from different parts of the world? Whom do you serve here? 
Yeah. So most of my clients, uh, because I'm based in the U.S., most are from the U.S., but I do work with clients internationally. So for example, I'm working with a German tech firm that is doing a lot of business in the U.S., right? So they might not be in the U.S., but they're working, right? They're working a lot here. Um, And so most, uh, the typical client I'm working with is a organization or a company that has a global footprint. And so I kind of mentioned this before, that could mean that they are a U.S. company with offices in 10 different countries, or they just have a small office in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm based, but they have suppliers and partners around the world. So you don't, you know, and that's a, I'm glad you asked that question because I think that's an important point about intercultural training. A lot of companies think I need to be this large multinational company with offices around the world to invest in this. And that used to be the case, but that's not true anymore, right? Every company is global. Even if you have a 10 person team, you're definitely working with someone from another country or another culture. So um, it's really all size companies, but anyone doing work internationally across borders. Uh, As a cultural expert, Nicole, what do you associate with the expression of global brand, local touch? Can you give some examples of what are the most important recommendations for a company to build a global brand, taking the aspect of culture into consideration? So, yeah, this is interesting to me because this comes up a lot. I work uh, a lot with HR teams specifically that are growing their brands or growing their company internationally. And there is this tendency to, from headquarters, to sort of dictate out to the other teams globally or the other offices globally you know, this is how we do things here at headquarters. And so I'm kind of working backwards from your question, but, you know, the biggest recommendation I have is do not do, don't dictate out from, you know, headquarters because what's working back home is not going to work in every location or with every client or supplier and not just in terms of marketing, but, you know, in terms of communication or relationship building, um, running meetings, any aspect of business, it's going to be different. So, you know, you definitely need that local touch. And, and to me, this idea of global brand local touch means taking into consideration cultural norms and values of other cultures or other countries, right? So if you think about, you know, what is the best way to lead a team or to launch a a brand or launch in a new market, yes, there are, you know, specific uh, ways that people are, are, you know, used to doing those things, but that's going to differ from country to country. And I think, you know, people in in their own culture or in their own bubble, they have this idea of this is the right way to do something like it's a lead a team or run a meeting or pitch an idea. And a lot of that is cultural and people just don't realize it. So it's, it's taking into consideration the values and norms of other cultures and how that influences 
the way they think, the way they make decisions. Mm, so I would put it also like that, that you treat uh, your teams not as delivery pipelines, but more so as sensory feelers uh, who really have an oh, understanding no, about the market, about the values, the prevailing values uh, and norms of that culture. Mm. Yeah, I love how you said that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Nicole, let's assume I'm a company with a strong brand that wants to expand overseas. Uh, in general, how can a brand successfully overcome this cultural idiosyncrasies of a region or a country market? Specifically, when it comes to building a brand there, any best practice advice from a cultural perspective? Yeah, so... I mean, first, I would say, you know, you have to invest in some type of cultural training, right? Sometimes companies think, well, we can, you know, rely on our internal talent. Maybe we have someone from Mexico and that's where we're doing business. They'll just tell us everything, you know, which sometimes works. But you really need a subject matter expert that understands not just cultural differences, but why these differences exist. And so when you're looking for cultural training, there's different types of intercultural training and it's called many different things too, which can be confusing to the client sometimes, but you need to look, uh, first of all, for companies that are going to give you specific strategies for your organization. So not just, you know, not just tell you about the differences, right? So if you want to overcome these idiosyncrasies or cultural differences, you can't just understand the do's and don'ts. You need to understand, like I said earlier, why people are behaving that way, what is influencing their behavior, and then what strategies can you use to bridge those differences and how do you need to adapt? And so a lot of times people focus on those do's and don'ts, you know, just tell me, you know, I want to enter Japan, you know, for example, as a market, tell me what to do and what not to do. And while that's helpful, uh, my biggest suggestion would be to, you know, that's not enough. You need to really focus on the why, how to build relationships and trust, because that's really going to set you up for long-term success. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that a little bit more deeper and more focused, how does culture affect managing brands in other country markets in terms of management or leadership? Also the partnerships that are involved, but also in terms of maybe the recruiting or hiring process in that market. Yeah, so um, I, I mentioned this maybe a little bit earlier, but you know, when you said in terms of management or leadership, you know, that idea of what does a good leader look like or how do you manage? What is the right way to manage? That is often cultural, right? So if you are managing a brand in other markets, you need to be aware that there are different different ways, essentially, of doing things. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned recruiting talent or hiring talent. This is a really big one because uh, this is a, a a very large barrier to building global talent. Is that people tend to hire employees or hire people that think like them, that look like them, that have the same ideas. And, and it's, you know, it's a bias that everyone has, but you really, if you're going to be a truly global brand, you need to be aware that 
hiring, retaining talent, motivating talent is going to be different from culture to culture or country to country. So things like what is the language that you're using in your job postings or your job ads? Um, that language actually could be different. Uh, you might need to edit that depending on who, what kind of talent you want to attract. I mentioned motivation. You know, what motivates a team in the U.S. might not motivate a team in Austria. And so it's about creating a culture of inclusion and equipping your people with skills to be successful, right? So giving them tools. So when you think of, you know, oh, managing brands globally, uh, I would say that you have to look at all aspects of managing that brand. Anything so tiny from writing an email, right? So I have plenty of stories about, you know, working with Dutch clients who, you know, kind of almost got offended by very wordy emails that my U.S. team was sending, you know, overly nice. We were saying, oh, how was your weekend? I hope you had, you know, a great time. How's the weather? And this Dutch team I worked with was, you know, basically called me up to say, you have to stop doing that. We don't have time to read your emails, you know? So it's having this cultural competence and awareness to recognize how you negotiate um, how you give feedback to other people as you're managing the brand, right? So it's not, I think a lot of times when we talk about global branding or uh, global marketing, you know, there's a focus on kind of the do's and don'ts. How do you enter that market, right? And and it's more than that. So it's every tiny thing that you can think of about doing business and communicating needs to be adjusted. Eventually, what are the skills a brand needs to have uh, other than maybe cultural competence uh, and the awareness in order to succeed in a multicultural world going forward? So, I mean, the biggest one for me is always, you know, you need to invest in global leadership. And so if you think about it that way, so if you think about as an organization with a global brand, you know, if you think, okay, we need to really develop global leaders, then you can work backwards from there and say, all right, what are skills global leaders need to have? And so besides cultural competence or you know, having a global mindset, I'd, I usually say that adaptability is kind of the number one. So if you have the knowledge of differences, that's great. But if you're not willing to adapt your communication style, your behavior, the way you work, then it's, it's not going to make a difference, right? So I say adaptability is one of the skills that all of your people should really have um, in order to succeed uh, in a multicultural environment. Also, you know, obviously diversity is really important and, and that overlaps a lot with intercultural communication. But, you know, having a, a culture of inclusion is extremely important because if you're you know, building a global brand, obviously you're working people from all around the world and people want to feel like they belong and that they're included. So those are the biggest uh, skills that I think people need. So leadership and uh, mm -hmm. showing that they belong or your employees belong mm -hmm. to, to you, to your company, to your brand. So a certain Absolutely. feeling of belonging. 
Nicole, yes. <laughs> Nicole, is there a specific project, let's say a brain story that was particularly exciting or rewarding for you, which you want to share with us? Well, there's one client that I'm actually still working with and uh, I won't name their name, but they're one of my favorite clients right now because they uh, are a startup that started in California in the U.S., and they quickly, very quickly grew to, I think they're at in eight countries right now, and they're still growing. And so, you know, they were one of the smart, smarter companies that recognized, okay, we are a U.S. company, but we're establishing this brand in, you know, in, they're in, in Europe, they're in Latin America, they're in Africa, and, and continuing to grow. So they recognized that they needed some help. So that's kind of where I came in. And, and not that I obviously am responsible for, for their, their success with this, but they were smart enough to offer intercultural training early on because they knew that there were cultural differences in how their teams and their suppliers all work together. So um, I think the important part of working with them is helping all the different international teams understand, we kind of say, you know, what makes them tick? What makes the Dutch team tick? And what makes the US team tick? So what is driving their behavior? Why are they doing what they're doing? And so that training, I really believe has helped increase understanding between the teams. It's helped build relationships, build trust, and more importantly for them, it really has impacted productivity because it's helped increase alignment, right? And so a lot of times they'd have group, uh, you know, team meetings with all these countries represented and people just still left the meeting not on the same page, not understanding what needed to be done. And now with the training, people are realizing, oh, okay, I understand better what the person from Costa Rica means now. And so they can move along with their projects uh, faster. And so that's the one, you know, I'm, it's still going on. And so I'm excited to watch them grow. Yeah. So I think uh, this is another factor of building a brand globally to start with this cultural trainings rather early in the process. Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of people will come yeah, they'll, a lot of companies will come to me later on and say, we have a big problem. Can you help fix it? So, yeah, it's much easier to start before that problem exists. Uh, Nicole, what has been your most important learning so far when it comes to doing business globally? What advice would you want to pass on to our listeners to become and sustaining a successful global player? So the biggest or most important learning for me, and also that I advice that I would pass to everyone is don't always trust your gut or trust your instincts. And this is hard for even me to say, because I feel like that's something I've learned to do over the years as I got older and further on in my career. You know, I used to second guess myself and now I say, no, I'm going with my gut feeling. The problem or or the challenge when working globally is your gut feeling might be incorrect when you're dealing with people from other cultures, right? So for example, you know, in the US, eye contact is very important. And if I'm talking to someone in a business setting and they don't make eye contact, I might think, 
that person is withholding information or they're not being trustworthy. And that could ruin a deal, that could ruin a relationship, right? But if they're from Japan, for example, they might be showing me respect. So that's what I mean about don't always trust your gut. I mean it when you're working across cultures because oftentimes we judge other people compared to our own culture. And if we're not familiar enough about that other culture, we could be making gut, gut decisions that actually are incorrect. And we'd learn later on that, oh, that, that was a complete misunderstanding. And that's happened to me. I'm still, even though I've been doing this a long time, I've been guilty of that. So don't always trust your gut. Yeah, I guess when we interact and do business with possible business partners from different cultural backgrounds, we very often run into the mistake of referring to our own cultural values and standards, which might not be a wise way of conducting business. We really have to do our homework first to get to know the culture beforehand. By putting ourselves into the other culture's pair of shoes, be empathic and see possible challenges and conflicts from their perspective. What I want to say here is to get the necessary cultural understanding to be aware and avoid potential conflict that would adversely impact the success of doing business going forward. And when it comes to body movement, gestures, especially in high context and implicit cultures, where you have to read between the lines, where you have to understand the cultural context, mm -hmm. cultural misunderstandings can happen very easily, which in business situations can mean losing a business or not winning it at all. Absolutely, yeah. You also have mentioned that already before when you talked about the virtual teams, that your training is now more focused on everything that happens virtually, leveraging the latest technology. I guess this is also partly a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, which I believe will be part of our lives for a little while longer. How did you as a company owner experience this crisis? Did it affect you? If so, how did you cope with the challenges or on the positive side that hidden opportunities unveiled from this crisis? Can you pick up on chances going forward also? Yeah. So, I mean, there have been, I think like most people, some challenges with COVID as a business owner, but there have also been a lot of positives. So, you know, the biggest obvious, obvious, well, maybe obvious to me is uh, most of the expat or relocation work uh, that I was doing. So when people relocate for, a, let's say, two-year international assignment for their job, most of that has been put on hold. It's slowly coming back. So, you know, once COVID hit, it was all of that got put on hold. So that was a scary moment at first. But the positive that is coming out of it is for years, not just me, but the whole intercultural training industry has been trying to kind of, um, I don't want to say persuade, but convince or show corporations that intercultural training is not just for international assignees and expats. It's for everyone, right? And so now that companies don't have as many people going on assignment, they are recognizing that, oh, okay, we still need this training for our people. And so, um, that's been the biggest positive for me is that it's something that 
I've been wanting companies to do is to invest in cultural training for everyone and see it as a leadership skill just as much as you know management training that someone might get about being a good manager right it's just as essential so that's the positive um you know things obviously going online have trainings have gotten shorter so i used to do maybe one day was the typical uh training in person training for a full day half day now people you know, no one wants to sit through an eight-hour virtual training. So it's what can you do in an hour or two hours, um, and so that's good and bad because um, it depends on the company. Some just want you to deliver a ninety-minute training, and then that's it. And you can't really—that—that's more of an awareness training, right? You, you need to do multiple sessions in order to really teach people about changing their behavior because that's what it's about and adapting. So that's a challenge, but I still think it's a good thing because the world was moving that way anyway, where people want shorter digestible learning bites. Um, so it's, it's made me pivot and, you know, change how I deliver my trainings, but I'm loving it. Honestly, I, I really like, like doing virtual trainings. Yeah, so you're on the sunny side of, of the COVID um, with your virtual trainings mm -hmm. that you have started much earlier than everyone else, focusing on expatriates going abroad. And I also think that changing um, yeah, human behavior is always takes longer. Yeah? It's much oh, more yeah. difficult <laughs> to just break out of your routine and adapt mm -hmm. to something new, something that you do not know. You are maybe a little afraid of touching this... Uh, this new way of, of communication style across borders, I would say. Not mm -hmm. only across borders, but uh, yeah, with all your partners and uh, colleagues right. internally and externally. Yeah. yeah, and that's a good point too. I talk a lot about across borders, but these days teams are so multicultural within their own countries that all, yeah, this, that's why this is so more important than ever as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Nicole, before coming to the end of our show, I would like to do a quick word wrap with you. Are you ready to give me quick and short answers? I am ready, I think. I will do my best. <laughs> culture. Um, for culture, I think of this definition of culture that I love, which is the way we do it around here. Because oftentimes when we talk about culture, and I'm guilty of this, you know, we talk about national culture, country culture, uh, but it really could be applied to, like, like you said, internally and any team. It's just the way you do things. Mm -hmm. Innovation. Uh, innovation. So I, what comes to mind here is that diverse teams lead to more innovation and productivity. So when I think about global brands and, you know, why is this important that we even invest in intercultural training, innovation is a big one because it's been shown that diverse teams will lead to greater innovation. Trends. Trends. So when I think, you know, I think of marketing trends, you know, specifically and going back to something I said earlier, you know, there might be a specific trend but how is that trend implemented, right? So even if I'm thinking about chatbots, so you could say chatbots is it's a trend, but how, what is that user experience? 
in the U.S., right? It might be different than in Spain or than in Nigeria because of the culture. So recognizing that trends, while they might be worldwide, they might be implemented differently from country to country. Leadership. So I'm going with my usual, um, you know, it must be global. So don't think that there is one way to be a good global leader. You must learn to adapt your style. If you are leading a multicultural team, leadership can mean different things to different people on your team. So you're going to have to shift your style. Hmm. Consumer dynamics. Um, For consumer dynamics, I think of building relationships and experiences with consumers from around the world. So again, you know, there's not one right way to build relationships. And so being aware, again, that you're going to have to alter the way you do that. You know, how do you build trust in France? It's going to be different than you do in Brazil. And brands. Um, Brands, again, bring it back to global, you know, just think globally, have a global mindset and kind of to your earlier question um, about being local, you know, get local input because you're not going to succeed if you just dictate to everyone, this is how we do it. And it's going to have to fit your, your culture. It, It might not. And so being open to other ways of doing things and adapting uh, as you go. Wonderful. Nicole, for listeners who would like to find out more about you, where can they find you and maybe get in touch with you? Well, I am on LinkedIn a lot. So I believe you'll, you'll be sharing uh, my LinkedIn profile, um, but LinkedIn is a great place. So connect with me there. I also have a website, which is futureofglobalwork.com. And you can also email me at any time. And that is hello at nicoleberilli.com. Nicole, thank you so much for being my guest today on Brands Talk. It was a pleasure having you here. And it was really interesting to talk to you and learn more about your perspective on brands and how culture influences them in pursuing their strategies. Thank you, Nicole. It was my pleasure, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was my conversation with Nicole Barilli. For more information about Nicole Barilli, you can check the show notes for this episode provided on my website, brandfit.at and the news. If you want to get in touch with me, drop me an email under office at brentfit.at or check out my webpage brentfit.at to become everyone's favorite brand. In case you like my show, make sure you subscribe to the Brainstalk podcast. And don't forget to share it on social media. I hope you will stay tuned in on the next episode when we dive into the world of brains.